This week on the Speak Life podcast, I interview Dr. Adam Hughes, pastor at First Baptist Church of Volumer, Missouri. We discuss issues connected to time management, leadership, and working with volunteers, including conflict management. Uh, that's going to include a few resources at the end, so make sure you listen through to the end. This is the Speak Life podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry, kind of history, your background. I mean, we have a little bit of that shared, uh, but you actually right. started pastoring before we worked together when we were in seminary. That's right. You and I met in the early 2000s and served on a church together out Mineral Wells, Texas. Yeah. Um, and I had birthplace of Larry Hagman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so uh, I'd actually pastored one church previous to that and before I came to seminary full time. Southwestern. So I've actually had right. about 20 ish years of wow. what I guess you would call senior pastor, pastoral ministry experience. Now, um, a lot of that early on was either in like you and I served together by vocational churches or smaller yeah. churches. I started pastoring my first church, actually, Bill, when I was uh, 21 years old. Uh, I've had people ask me, what did you learn pastoring your first church when you were 21 years old? And my standard response is that I should not have been pastor my first church <laughs> when I was 21 years old. Um, yeah, but understood. I think I learned a lot. And I think uh, I think the church was gracious with me and taught me a lot. So, yeah, 20, 21, 20 to 21 years of senior pastoral ministry experience. Um, and then right before coming to the church, I'm, I'm currently senior pastor, First Baptist, Bolivar, Missouri, uh, yep. where you are a member and here in the same town as SBU. Uh, been here a little over a year. Previous to that, I was actually on faculty at New Orleans Seminary for six years, uh, taught preaching and pastoral ministry there. Uh, first four years, I served as dean of chapel, so I was kind of over the chapel ministry and yeah. kind of got to, I guess, serve the role as pastor of the campus a little bit with students. And then my last uh, two years was more of an academic position. I was over one of our divisions, kind of in a dean, associate dean role. So I've had a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, all worlds when it comes to the church and academia, but I'm excited to be back in the local church. I love pastors. I love people. I love pastoring. So I'm excited yeah. to talk about this today. And then my family, um, you know, um, certainly the better side of our, our household is my wife, Holly. We've been married for just over 22 years. In June, we celebrate 22 years of marriage. Uh, she actually grew up a pastor's daughter. So she's been in pastoral ministry and in a pastor's home a lot longer than I have. And then um, together we have four kiddos. Uh, we kind of have two sets. We have a, a daughter that's a senior in high school. So we're kind of entering that phase where we're fixing to get to do the college thing. Yeah. You know, you and Julie have been through that a time or two. Yeah. Um, and then to, we have we a have daughter. One left. Yeah. And she's a senior this year, right? So, yep. yeah, Ashlyn and her are classmates. So uh, then we have a daughter that's a sophomore. We took six and a half years yeah. off and thought we were done with kiddos. <laughs> and along came our son. He's nine. He's a third grader. And then we have our, our third daughter, our fourth, fourth kiddo overall, Kate, who uh, just finished kindergarten. She's going to be a first grader. She's six. So, yeah. man, we, uh, we, we feel just so blessed. We've, Holly and I have done ministry together for actually before we got married. And our family kind of just embraces the role of loving each other and 
putting each other first, but then also serving the church together and serving other, others together. So I think it's just kind of who we are, if I can say yeah. it that way. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, there are a couple things that jumped out at me as just as I'm hearing you that number one, <laughs> 20 years is we're, we're getting old, man. We're, we're yeah, old. we are. That's uh, right. The second thing Bill, I've, had, I've had a couple of people this week say something to me along the lines of, Hey, this would be really good for somebody like you. That's a young man. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm flattered. <laughs> I don't know that I feel like I'm a young man anymore, but I'm flattered. Yeah, <laughs> I got you on that. The other thing you, you mentioned, uh, you know, past starting when you were 21 and feeling like uh, maybe shouldn't have been pastor when I was 21. <laughs> so I remember my first ministry assignment, I was a student pastor, a youth minister, at a church up in Maryland at LaVale Baptist Church. And uh, I was 22. I'd been married for all of three months at that point. Uh, and I was really good at loving kids. I was I had no idea what I was doing for the most part. <laughs> and and the, the more educated I got through seminary experience, the more I realized the extent to which I did not know what I was doing. Yeah, so I, 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 I get I've it. looked back many it. times. I've looked back many times and said, oh, and I think like you, the more I got educated, the more I was around and was mentored and looked back at several yeah. instances and said, and, and I've literally said out loud a couple of times, oh, dear me, what I did to those poor people, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a part of it where I look back and go, what were those people thinking? Hiring yeah, that's the other side of it. That's right. Yeah. So I tell you. You know, as you talk that through, you, you've got two sides of the experience there, right? You've had the chance to really do a lot of pastoral ministry. You've also had the chance to interact with a lot of pastors in training as you had the chance to serve down right. in New Orleans. And so that really ties back into the main two questions that we want to cover today. The first one being, you know, what are some of the challenges, the greatest challenges you've either seen or experienced in ministry? And then what are the things that you would suggest to those who are stuck in the middle of that? So. Uh, jumping in, what are, what are some of those challenges you've either seen uh, or experienced in ministry? What are the, yeah. those greatest challenges? Man, that's that's a fantastic question. Um, I think I think when we're going into ministry and we're thinking about ministry, the big things that are kind of the public things that people see, we probably do a pretty good job of having reasonable expectations for those. And do a good job of training yeah. for those. I mean, like preaching every Sunday. I mean, if you're a pastor, kind of everyone knows you're going to preach every Sunday. We think about that and we train for that. You know, I would even yeah. say there's a sense in which people think about like visitation or, you know, some sense of um, like, uh, you know, you got to handle business meetings. Those big things that you just think you do all the time that are kind of public. We probably do a pretty good job with that. And it's not, we don't get a surprise by those. I find it's the things that maybe didn't cross my mind, should have, but are much mm -hmm. more personal or maybe private. So um, I think they fall into to a couple categories and I, I don't know how specific you want to get, but I'll kind of mention them and describe them. And then if you want to probe with questions, we can do that. Yeah, sure. But one of the big ones I would say, Bill, is just and it's, this is not unique to pastoring or ministry, I don't think. I think it's just adulthood, but I think it does relate to ministry very, very uh, specifically. And that's just time management. You know, I, I, I think okay. I think uh, I, I actually told my students after I pastored and I went to the seminary and I would have students that would say, you know, uh, man, I, you know, I just don't have time to get that assignment done. Or, man, I feel like I'm like I'm drowning here a little bit. And I. Yeah hear me say I was always wanting to be gracious and work with them, but then I would try to use it as a teachable moment because I know in my own life, 
And now stepping back into the pastor and I find it more true. I'm like, man, you are going to struggle. And struggle is the wrong word. It is always going to be a balance for time management the rest of your life and the rest of yep. your ministry. You're never going to, you just you, you graduate and you think, I want to have all this time. It's just not how it works. I mean, I wish it is how it works, but it's, it's always you're struggling with time management. And I, I think there are certain callings or jobs that that's u- uniquely the case for. And I think pastoring is yeah. probably one of those because you're pulled so many different directions. Yep. Your heart, because of who you are, you don't want to say no to anything. You literally don't want to say no to any, anything, which is in some ways it's a laudable thing. Um, and, uh, and man, it's just, you know, it's people and, and, and I don't even say that in a derogatory way. It's just people. And, yeah, no. and you can't really plan your next emergency or, or whatever. It's the next phone call or whatever, you yeah. know, and that's kind of what happens. So one of it, them I would say is time management. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, the way you describe that, it, you talked about the idea of going through and it can be, you can think of it as laudable. As soon as you started describing time management, the first phrase that I had going through my head, you ended up saying, and that's being pulled in so many different directions. And the wanting to meet everybody where they are and serve those needs is, I think for many pastors, part of what drove them toward wanting to be a pastor in the first place, something that God put inside of them uh, that that makes them a prime candidate for pastoring. And it, it, you're right, it never changes. It doesn't change when your kids are babies versus your kids are teenagers versus your kids are out of the house. There's always stuff. Uh, Like you said, you can't plan for those emergencies. And so it's always going to be a draw and a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one big one. We can, you know, certainly I I don't mind talking about that more. And then, then later when we circle back around, I'll give some of my thoughts to some things that I don't think that ever goes away, but how you can manage that a little bit better. So I want to talk about that a little bit. I, I think the second one I would th- say, Bill, like, I, you know, you're, you're so many come to mind and you're kind of trying to narrow down. So I'm kind of putting it in categories and then yeah. I'm going to come back and I'm going to say one that I think relates to kind of all of it. But the second one I would say is leader sl- leadership slash the managing of people. Um, and when I say managing okay. of people, that sounds really negative. I don't mean it that way, but I mean, even if you're in a church of 50 yeah. or 60 people, you're managing volunteer, you're managing a workforce. Yep. And you're trying to get things done and you're trying to move everyone kind of in the same direction. And I, I remember like going into pastoring and I thought, you know, I mean, I've got a pretty good personality. I'm outgoing. I don't think I'm horrible in the pulpit. Uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll do okay. And, and then you're like, wow, people, I don't care what size church you're in. People want to get behind somebody that has God's vision and kind of has a semblance of knowing how to lead us there. And I remember just sitting, there were a couple of times that I was sitting in my office and I was sitting there almost like, oh my goodness, I don't even know. I don't even know what step one is kind of, you know, I almost like yes. felt so overwhelmed, paralyzed. Like, how do I, how do I even, how do I communicate a vision and then get us all together and move that direction? And then inevitably what comes with that and again, I don't even mean this in a bad way, is when you're leading and managing people, then you're going to have to manage some level of conflict. Um, it's just going to be a yeah, part of it. You, know, you are. Um, and, and as you move people forward, people have different ideas and you, you try to keep unity, not uniformity, but unity as you move forward. So that is another yeah. big one that I think has been a, a big, you know, surprising, you know, challenge in ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you're talking about that, some of the things that come to mind, you, you tell me for 
from your perspective, you and I, as we went through, so we went through Southwestern Seminary together, uh, roughly the same time. I actually think you, did you graduate the same semester as my wife, as Julie did? I, I did. We graduated together. So okay, I was I, a little bit behind you. Yeah. So, but you did the Master of Divinity. I d did the Master of Arts in uh, Christian Counseling, which for anybody listening, if you don't know what that fancy phrase for is, I did the Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Counseling that they offered that allowed me to get licensed. But I also did a whole bunch of extra theology coursework uh, that, that ties into that Hebrew and Greek and all of uh, biblical backgrounds, all that kind of stuff. So in my degree track, uh, I remember having two, maybe three total classes that were administrative leadership or leadership related kind of courses. How many did you have in your, uh, in the master divinity program? Yeah, I honestly, you're going to say, this is shocking to say this. If you take out, if you take out just general things that relate to pastoral ministry, and I'm, I'm putting those mm -hmm. aside for a moment, but specifically administration and leadership, I, I remember two, I remember yeah. two and they yeah, were same. just kind of, the, I'm not taking a shot at anything. I'm just saying, and they were kind of the basic overview and you go, okay, I got that. And you kind of move on. Don't think about it again. Yeah. But how else are you supposed to do right? So was your master divinity at that time? It was like ninety three credits, wasn't it? I think I think I graduated. I think I graduated ninety six hours. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. How else are you supposed to do it when you're trying to put everything in? That's exactly, yeah. you don't have room for anything. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, I guess if somebody wanted to, they could do you know six years of seminary, but <laughs> right. full -time. they could do another uh, another bachelor's amount yeah. of hours, I guess. And, yeah, you know, sure. One hundred twenty hours. <laughs> that, but that's just it. I mean, it's so limited in what we're able to work in, uh, and so. When it comes to the things you were talking about earlier, the big stuff, the preaching, the preparing Bible studies, the, uh, you know, meeting people where they are and walking with them through crises, there's lots of training on that. But when it comes to managing a force of volunteers, even when it comes to time management a little bit, uh, there's just not the same amount of training because there's just not room for it. Uh, right. And I wonder if some of those, when it comes to time management, getting out of whack from time to time, and when it comes to the challenges and the frustrations that go along with uh, recruiting, maintaining, uh, training, and, and dealing with conflict in a group of volunteers, uh, I wonder if that's some of the stuff that can contribute to burnout for folks. Absolutely. I think it can. Which you, when you mentioned that, was kind of the, this is not a, I don't call this a third separate area. This area, I think, closely yeah. relates to the other one. And then what I would say is kind of how, where I felt like all those things kind of coalesced, you used the word burnout. So um, all those things can certainly contribute to call it, you know, self-care, emotional intelligence, self-check, whatever you want to yeah. call it there, where you're not paying attention to what's going on emotionally or energy wise, or how are you actually doing inside? And I think all of those things, as well as the other things can quickly slip up on you. And so that would be the third thing I would say, although I don't think it's a separate thing. I think maybe it's a coalescing of all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it's just, it, it's interesting how all of that can come together. And, you know, when you're doing it, doing it well, and you've got a strong volunteer core, uh, you know, things just feel like they're moving and, and just uh -huh. sailing along. And when you don't, you feel it. And then it's extra burden on you as the, this is one of the things I was talking about, uh, last week, the, the idea of, you know, you have that pastor that, that they don't have that number of volunteers and then they're doing everything from not only preparing sermons and Bible studies, but ordering Sunday school material and shoveling the sidewalk right. comes along. So it, right. It, absolutely. It, 
So with all that being said, then what, as I'm kind of paying attention to time, let's transition a little bit. What, based on the things we've discussed so far, what are the practical helps you would suggest? Or maybe uh, what do you wish you would have known as you started administering and were dealing with these things for the first time? What, what would you suggest? Gosh, there, yeah, there are several things that come to my mind. I, I, I want to keep it Cliff Notes version for time purposes. But one of the things I would say, Bill, is um, like, I think there's several different avenues and depends on where you are, what level of help you might need. And people might even, when they hear me, hear me say help, they might even kind of feel themselves pull back a little bit, but don't one yeah. thing, don't pull back when you hear me say help, because we all need help. We're not intended to be an Island unto ourselves, yeah. but I would say some level of, of, of having a person or people that you can talk to. And a lot of times that's going to be people outside your church. And it's not because they're not trustworthy. It's just people that you can talk to and be you. So, I mean, for me, I would say it could be anywhere to a fellow pastor, uh, it mm -hmm. could be, it could be a specifically a mentor. I, I really, even when you feel like things are going well, like I don't have a problem. I just advocate for having a mentor, like somebody yeah. that's walking the same path as you, but is a little bit ahead of you in the path and yeah, that you absolutely. can just go, Hey man, I want to talk about this this week and have regular conversations with them. And then Bill, maybe it does, it, you know, it, for some people and at times, and, and I don't think we need to be, feel ashamed about this. Maybe that talking to somebody at times does turn into a counselor or a biblical counselor, or yeah. I, I know somebody that's trained in that or licensed in that, and that's okay. But I would say my one thing that I would say on the front end is don't, don't say I'm going to wait and find somebody to talk to. I would just say from day one, have some means in your life to where you're you're talking with someone and being you, uh, yeah, fellow that, pastor, mentor, somebody. Yeah, the, part of what comes to mind in that, and there are actually a couple of things. One, you know as well as I do, when you're in a ministerial role, you you have a role where you are constantly pouring into other people. Uh, we hit places where we need people pouring into us. You know, we, absolutely. We sometimes forget we. When we look at the creation story in Genesis, one way I like to think about it is when when Adam hits the place, uh, not you, Adam, Adam in the Bible, Adam. <laughs> but when Adam hits the place where, you know, God is showing him that he is alone, that, that he's there's nothing else like him. Uh, if you remember that fullness of that passage, it's God looks and says, it's not good for man to be alone. Right. Uh, and in the passage in Genesis, what happens at that point is an animal parade. Uh, it's when it's, it's at the very next verse is when all the animals are walking by Adam and he's given them all names, uh, which seems like a weird timing until you recognize this is God's way of helping Adam to see for himself that he's alone and that he has a need. Absolutely. As he is, he's constantly seeing these animals and realizing, wait a minute, there's not another one like me. And at right. that point, God does not look at him the way he looked at Paul and said, my grace is sufficient for you. He creates somebody for Adam because we're designed for relationship and connection with others. Absolutely. Uh, we have to have that in place. The other thing I was thinking about is just, um, you know, in, in my career path, so I've, I've worked in ministry. I've also worked in professional counseling for a long time. Uh, and when I think about anybody else who's in a people-helping kind of field, the kind of field where they're connecting with people and, and serving a need, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or whatever, the vast majority of us are required to do professional development. Uh, we have to in order to keep our license. Uh, there's not necessarily something like that 
for a pastor. Whereas you have to go and get replenished. You have to go and you kind of have to seek it out people. on your own. It's often not mandated yeah. on you. You have to seek it out. Yeah. And the thing that comes to mind is when I would go to conferences that, and I still do get to go to conferences like that every once in a while, it's, it's not even just about what I'm learning in the you know, professional development seminars, so to speak. It's about the fellowship and the connection with other people who are doing what I do, like exactly what you were talking about. Uh, that's forced on many of us, not to a small extent, it's, you know, 40 hours across two years was what I had to do uh, as a professional counselor. But but the idea of being intentional about that kind of connection with other people, I think right. is vital. And you're hitting on something else there. Second thing I was going to say is beyond just having regularly, like weekly or you know, biweekly, somebody to talk to, the whole idea of retreat, conferences, getting like getting Absolutely. away, call it professional development. But I like you said, even more than what you're learning, just the recharging and getting pouring into your done. And man, I, listen, I, I, I hesitate to say this because this could be turned the wrong way to where it's almost like I'm saying, you know, your wife has the same responsibility in church you do. And I don't mean that at all. But the other thing I would say is, and try to take your wife with you too. try to get, yeah. a, get away with your wife as well, because that'll be good for both of you and her, because she is carrying some of those, some of those burdens as well. Um, yeah, so it, I, I'm an advocate for those things. Yeah. When we think of that, you know, that's one thing where most pastors' wives, they, it might not be written down, but there's a job description. That oh, absolutely. An expectation. And expectations. Absolutely. Yep. And so to, to have those opportunities for her to be replenished as well, it's equally important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, I, can I throw in one other thing that I, I specifically absolutely. about the time management? Well, this is one I thought about years ago when I was at the seminary. I'm sure it's not original with me. I don't know where I got it from. I can't remember, you know, where I read it or if I read it. Mm -hmm. But I started telling my students, I'm like, look, we know we have to budget our finances, right? We get that. I mean, I'm not yep. saying everyone does it. But you, you, there's a concept of knowing, uh, you know, uh, discretionary spending only goes so far, um, you know, and, and there's also a sense in which we know with our financial budgeting, we know that you, you don't, if I can say it this way, you don't spend your discretionary funds first. In other words, right. you, know your, you know your bills at home cost this much. You know your groceries cost this much. The car and insurance is this much. You need to save this much. And then, then you look and you see, and this is how much I have left over. And then it's yours to do with what you want with that. You know what I mean? The discretionary part. But you have yep. to budget that way. It's just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm saying something that no one knows. Now, the other thing is I turn around and I, and I say on that, I'm like, I'm using, I'm using finances for the, for the metaphor, for the illustration. Right. But I say most of us do actually have discretionary funds. It might not be as much as we want, but I say to people, if you buy, and I'm not begrudging this, if you buy a cup of coffee from Starbucks every week or every day, yeah. you've got discretionary funds because it ain't, it ain't super cheap. It's just a matter of how much you have and how, how do you think about it? Well, my argument back is we, we, we should think of time a little bit, uh, a little bit the same way. Um, yep. I argue that probably Adam Hughes has a little, now there's weeks that it's different, but I probably have more discretionary time than I think I do. I've just not intentionally yep. thought of it, budgeted it and used it. So I'm not begrudging anybody this. You sit down on the couch and you watch a football game on a Saturday. You should do that. Hey, go for that. But that's three hours. That yep. was discretionary time. And so we yep. have it. It's just do we think about it and are we intentional about it? And so my argument is we should if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna manage your time better, like literally put pen to paper and actually write out what does a normal week look like or what does a normal month look like? How yep. much do I need for sermon prep? How much do I need for planning and meetings? 
how much am I going to budget in? I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I know I know some emergency are going to come up. So I'm going to I'm going to budget in some time for that. And then, you know, family time and all that stuff. And then how much do I have left over? And, and then what do I want to do with that? So that's something I, I'm that Bill, I know when I say that, like there are people listening or watching that are going, that is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I, I feel that, but I'm just saying, like for me, I started telling my students that and I've employed that to some level and it's been a, it's been a lifesaver of managing yep. time. Well, and I'll tell you, I think there are places we can even take the metaphor a step further. And part of this I'm drawing from, uh, one of my personal favorite professors that I had back at Southwestern, Dr. George Klein. Uh, he, and this is going to help people to know I'm weird, uh, just to help me to fall in love with Hebrew. I, I love those classes that I had <laughs> back then. Um, so much so that I even took a class on Isaiah one to 39, just to have Dr. Klein again. And so Dr. Klein, if you're out there and you're listening, I just you have no idea how much I appreciated you while I was at Southwestern. But one of the things he talked about, I remember him coming around, sitting on the table in front of the class and just talking about uh, similarly in terms of finances as a metaphor, he would talk about making deposits and making withdrawals. And the idea that when we go through times, for us as seminary students at that point, there were lots of times we were maybe making significant withdrawals from our own resources, from relationships with a spouse, because we just had to invest time in getting assignments done and things like that. And to make sure we were intentional, especially in times of breaks, about making deposits. I think the same thing holds true when we get to talking about pastoral ministry when it comes to time uh, and how we budget that well we do have times when there are emergencies. We do have times when extra comes up that we maybe haven't budgeted well for because we couldn't predict it. And we start making a bunch of extra withdrawals. Well, you know, as well as I do in finances, if you make too many withdrawals, you're going to run dry. You're going to get, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get in the red. Yeah. Yeah. Things are going to start bouncing. And so the idea of then being intentional about making some deposits, maybe even making some deposits in advance, whether it's, uh, you know, those relationship kinds of deposits, getting out and doing that professional development, budgeting that in, I think is crucially important. Uh, so we, so we don't run dry and we can continue to do the things that God's calling us to do. Hey, I, I don't know how much time we have left, but I, I would say I can give these really quickly. And then there's three yeah. resources that I would give. Oh, perfect. Um, two, yeah, of, go for it. two of them are books. And then, and then, and then, you know, one is more of a, uh, you know, podcast type resource. So one is a book. It's over 20 years old now, but I don't know another book since then. It's been written quite like this. Stephen Rummage published okay. a book called planning your preaching. And it is exactly what it says. He just walks through practically. How do you put a preaching calendar together? And I, I know that might sound like, eh, but there are so many guys that are just week to week. What, what am I going to preach next Sunday? And that can be a significant time eater or let me say it another way yeah. if you if you have a three-month serving count and listen doesn't mean that you have to be rigid with it you, you can't make adjustments if thing come, things come up but if you have a a general this is where i'm going for the next three months stephen rummage actually argues to do it for a year to do it for 12 months um, the point yeah. is then on monday i don't have to worry about i don't have to spend a day or two figuring out what I'm going to preach. And that literally happens. I already know wh where I'm going, what I'm preaching. I can start the process of, of actually working on it and preparing. And that saves so much time. Uh, Rummage, Rummage argues for 12 months. I think he says at least do three months. I'm usually right at about six months, Bill. I'm six yeah. months out. My staff, my music minister, my deacons know this is what I have. 
and this is where I'm going. But that book is the best resource I know from the standpoint of practically how do you do that, and, and it will help you save time in your ministry if you already yep. know where you're going. Yep, and I'm going to interrupt real quick just to say uh, I can I can feel the argument against already building, but that doesn't leave room for what the Holy Spirit might try to do. And I would have two things to say to that. Number one, if you think the Holy Spirit can't speak six months in advance, you've got to look at <laughs> right. what the Holy Spirit can do. Number right. two, we also have room for, you know, if something comes up and it interrupts that six-month stretch and you add something into the middle of it, that's not against the rules. So Absolutely. Just, I, I think it's a resource worth looking at. Go ahead. What's next? But, well. And I will say, let me, I know we're we're running low on time, but to your point, Stephen Rummage actually argues for every three months to build in what he calls a flex Sunday. So, so for three months, you only, you plant, you, you, how many, four, uh, eight, 12, you only plant 11 Sundays out of the 12 and you leave one open. That's what he actually argues for. Cause he says, something's going to happen. You're going to have to address something pastorally. A guest is going to come in. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you to address something. He said, it leaves room for that. And then Jim Shaddix actually argued. He said, I think it was Jim Shaddix. He said, make make the preaching plan uh, uh, the, the servant of the minister, not the minister, the servant of the preaching plan. In other words, like it serves that. you. That's you good. don't serve it. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit. And so exactly what you're yep. saying there. I hope what I just said makes sense because yeah, I was totally just trying does. to jump on what you did. Uh, secondly, a shameless plug for you. Listen to podcasts like just like this. Find a podcast like this one. Uh, if it's not this one, another one. And, and, I, and I say that literally not just because we're on here and, and we're doing this and you and I are friends. You can, you're, everybody is in the car 30 minutes at some point. You just are. Yep. And there can be, so, even if for 30 minutes you get one or two nuggets, oh my goodness, I can't tell me how many things, just somebody said something, one thing, and it literally revolutionized something I was doing in ministry and made something so much easier. So I would say it's kind of speaking to the choir. They're already listening to this, but find something like this. Listen regularly when you're in the car, driving to the grocery store, driving your kids to school or something, uh, because you do have time for that and you're already in the car. So that's the second thing I would say. I would agree with that. Third thing I would say, and this is a shameless plug for me in 2021, myself and one of my colleagues at New Orleans Seminary published a book called Together We Lead, myself and Jody Dean. And basically, it is on, we, we tried to address the, the practical things in leadership and the management of people mm. that you, you don't always get in a classroom and you're not always thinking about um, as a pastor going into it that surprises you. We start with the whole concept of calling, like with the, the whole idea of leadership and management. We start with calling, and then we work through the qualities you should have, the integrity you should have. But then we get into stuff like, you know, as simple as like budgeting and managing the work and assessing. We like we, we try yep. to cover the whole gamut in that. Now I guess people can evaluate from themselves did we do a good job or not. But I but I do think it's hitting a niche that there's not a lot of stuff out there. And then every other chapter we do a case study. So you can actually then nice. read it and put it into practice. And and the chapters we don't do the case studies, we do a set of questions. So every chapter has with it a practical application to help you put into practice and think through what you just done before you get to it in the real world. So those That's are the awesome. three resources I would say. That's awesome. At some point in the future, we should sit down together and maybe talk about some of the specific topics in that book that you think would be most helpful. Would just love to, to do that. A little bit more in depth time over 30 minutes uh, on some of those individual topics. There's one resource that I want to me- recommend. I'm turning around behind me, looking at my bookshelf. I'm going to pop over and grab it real quick. It's, Yeah, it's Ken Sandy's The Peacemaker. 
which is a book that maybe some of you have heard through heard of before. It is a practical walkthrough uh, of Matthew 18 in a lot of ways, but it's a great resource. It's a resource that I use uh, when I teach counselors and training here. I teach, uh, you know, I teach undergraduate level counseling here at SBU, but I also teach in our master's in Christian ministry program and I teach the local church counseling class. And this is one of the texts that I make sure that we walk through and spend a little bit of time in because it's just a, a good resource for some of the conflict resolution things, conflict management that, that we brought up earlier in the podcast. Absolutely. Adam, I think this has been fantastic. Any, uh, uh, any final thoughts you would share before we sign off? I would just say to you, man, I'm, I'm so glad that you are, are there and you're doing what you're doing and the Blair Center's up and going. And I hope that's a resource that pastors that are hearing this might take advantage of. And I would just say it's an honor for me to be able to be on because let me just talk to the pastors for a moment. Pastors, I love you. I've, I've, I've trained pastors, but I at heart am one of you. And, and what, you do, what you do matters and you're not alone and don't walk through life alone. Don't walk through your ministry alone. Uh, you, you, you can do it and, uh, and God wants you to succeed and there are others out there to help you. So we love you. We're praying, praying for you. And we're thankful. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And everybody, a new episode for you next week to continue to listen uh, to the Speak Life podcast. God bless you all.